Father, I want to thank you for all those that have been praying for this service this week, been praying for me, been praying for this body. And here we are. Well, Father, I pray that for each person that has been drawn here today, and as we've worshipped you, as we've gathered together, pray that you would have your way among us in, in power, that truth would be understood, we'd have the courage to apply and to walk in it. Lord, not only being hearers of the word, but doers of the word, that we would walk it out. And as we do, we would find in countless ways the answer to these prayers. As we're set free, as we find victory, as we are transformed from the inside out by the power of your Spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a section of Ephesians where Paul has begun giving us some very specific instructions regarding how to live out our faith. If you've been with us since the beginning of this or are here recently, chapters 1 through 3 tell us who we are in Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he says, because this is who you are, this is how you should live. With that, would you look with me at Ephesians 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in verse 25, Paul gets really specific in regards to what a true child of God must take off or put off or rid themselves of, because if we don't, if such things as he lists in verses 25 through 31, and again, that he has such lists in nearly every one of his letters, unless we get rid of those things, put them off, we're going to look like we're spiritually dead. Not spiritually alive as we claim or think we are, or as Ephesians 1 through 3 says, this is who we are. Basically, he says, if you are indeed a child of God, then these are the things, these inner character qualities that need to work themselves out into how you behave and treat each other. There are some things you need to take off, and there are some things you need to put on. There are some things that should be evident in your life. Things like speaking the truth, verse 25. Things like kindness, compassion, extending forgiveness. How? The standard, verse 32, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's the level of forgiveness I need to learn to walk in. 
along with things like we saw at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4, things like humility and gentleness and to bear with each other, to put up with each other in love, in unity. Please keep in mind that neither list, uh, that, that neither list Paul gives here of what needs to be taken off or what needs to be put on is exhaustive. Again, he has lists similar to this in nearly every one of his letters. Last week, I stated that we are very much a part of this process of taking off and putting on. There is no magic wand in the Christian faith. It is engaged by an act of our will, a choice of my mind, but it is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. What kind of power? How much power? Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, the same power that rose, raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the kind of power that we have available to us to take off these things and put on a new life. Amen? I ended last week's message by saying, if the Holy Spirit is showing you that there are things, something in your life that looks like death that needs to be taken off, then I said that this week we would talk about how to do it. So here we go. To, do, to get there, I want to set a foundation. Some things that we need to have in place. For me, I believe this book. All of it. Therefore, I'm not left to pick and choose of what I want to follow or not follow. Foundationally, you need to understand that as I go into this. This book tells me that as a believer, I have a powerful enemy. I believe that. I want to just tell you that as a believer, you cannot biblically say, yes, I believe in heaven and not believe in hell. You can't say, yes, I believe in angels and say, but I don't believe in the demonic realm. This book tells me, as the word of God, that not only am I, if, that, excuse me, that if I'm not, if I'm not truly a child of God, then the only other child I am is a child of Satan. There's no middle ground. I'm either part of one kingdom or the other. Interestingly, regardless of which kingdom I'm a part of, Satan's goal for me is the same. He wants to destroy me. Christ, on the other hand, wants to rescue me and give me life. And there, in part, is the battle line. Though my enemy is powerful, he has been defeated. Thank you. At least somebody is on cue. Jesus Christ, 
at the cross not only defeated sin, he also defeated death. He defeated hell. In fact, he defeated sin. He defeated all those things, and he holds the keys of the kingdom. He holds the keys of death and hell because he was victorious. As his children, we have been given the privilege of sharing in that victory. Please understand, that's not a just when I die, participate in the victory. Amen? Though Satan is defeated, he is not without power. One day, Revelation tells me, he will be done. But until that day, he prowls around like a lion, like a lion seeking whomever he can destroy. That is his mission, that is his goal, that is his character. In John 10.10, Jesus tells us, gives us this picture of Satan. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Life, death, we get to choose. For those who choose the life, chose the life that Jesus offers and are given his life, now we're back in Ephesians, Paul gives us some instruction which says again, if you are indeed a child of God, there should be external evidence of this internal reality. Therefore, if there are things in your life that look like death, things that were naturally a part of who you were before you were rescued out of the kingdom of darkness, you need to take those things off because they make you look like death, like you're dead. And you need to put some other things back on in their place. With all that in mind, foundationally, we're back to the question, how do I take off And how do I put on? More specifically, how do I get rid of, get free from anything or in any way that Ephesians 4.27 that I have given the enemy a foothold into some area of my life? Because as I said last week, And I'll stay here again, especially if you weren't here. Though in Ephesians 4.27, Paul specifically says, in your anger, do not sin and don't give the devil a foothold. I believe contextually that we could take any one of the things in the list and put it there and say, in my unforgiveness, don't give the devil a foothold. In my bitterness, don't give the devil a foothold. In my, don't give the devil a foothold. Let me add this. The enemy of our souls does not care how he attacks or who he attacks. There are no rules for him. His only goal, steal, kill, destroy. He doesn't care how.
So there may be things that exist in my life that look like death. Some things that even came to me that were not a choice I made. I could have had these things inflicted upon me. I could have been abused in some way. I didn't choose that. It happened to me. However, one of the ways that it impacts me is I hold to unforgiveness or bitterness or anger. The enemy doesn't care how it happened to you. Here's the thing. Through Jesus Christ, you can be healed, you can be set free, you can walk in victory and in the life that he promised you, but we need to take back any ground that's been given over to the enemy. Among my favorite passages in the Gospels comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus in his hometown, went to the synagogue. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened it until he came to this section of Scripture in Isaiah, and he read it. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Listen, this is why... Jesus said he came. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. And when he rolled it up, he said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. He said, I'm the guy. If you think I'm stretching that at all, you just need to read on in the context. They tried to figure out how they could stone him. Because they recognized what he had just claimed. One more piece. I'll give you these notes. I'm going to paraphrase it. I'll give you these passages I mean. I'll paraphrase it and then we'll move on. Ephesians 1, 13 says that at the moment at the very moment that you bowed your knee, wherever you were, whatever it looked like for you, wherever you genuinely, from the tip of your toes to the top of your head, prayed a prayer and asked Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior, at that moment you were given the Holy Spirit. He goes on in that context in chapter 1 of Ephesians verses 19 through 22, talking about who Jesus Christ is and that through the power of the resurrection that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm repeating this for some of you, but in case you didn't catch it the first time or the third time or the fifth time, let's do it again. And then he goes on to say in those verses, he has, because Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross, he is seated above and under his feet are powers and principalities and every demonic realm, everything, everything is under the feet and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? It gets better than that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, it says that you, right now, are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And that if you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, then where are the powers and principalities and all that crap? Where are they in comparison to you? They are under your feet. That's what it means to be in Christ. 
That isn't a when I die thing. That's a now thing. Every power and principality you have authority over because you're so special and have done it right for so long. No. Because of who Jesus Christ has made you to be and that a spirit dwells within you. I give you that because that means that if the enemy has gained a foothold in your life, you have the authority to take it back. And that's where the whole church should say, Amen. Say, old school. Caught us off, off, you've caught us off guard, Pastor. You've never said that before. But hey, it's not a chalkboard, but it's close. Perhaps because I'm a visual learner. God gave me this picture a long time ago. And I've used it countless times. And so I'm going to give it to you. If it helps you to draw this as well, go ahead. Would it help if it was up on the stage? It's yes or no. No, we're fine. All right. Thank you for the offer, though. I do appreciate it. And everybody said... What? <laughs> I, need, I need you to wrap your heads around. I need you to imagine. I need you to remember any old documentary film or museum you've been into. World War I, trench warfare. Okay? World War I, trench warfare. The enemy's line and your line. Trench warfare. Dug in, dug in. If you ever, uh, in not far from where we grew up and Bartlett grew up, (laughs) trying to go too fast, where we served the last 19 years in Bartlett is a park called Cantini, and they have an amazing museum where you could literally walk in a remade trench. Because it was not like we often see where they're just standing there shooting. They lived In the trench, there were rooms and places to sleep and places to store the ammunition. What we see in the trench is just kind of the the front edge of it. But you know the trench, you're you're hunkered down, you peek up now and then, you fire a shot, you duck down, and the enemy's fighting back, right? Lots of movement, very little movement. And the middle of this is called what? Very good. So the enemy and you are hunkered down. Spiritually, your enemy wants to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Wants to take you out. Doesn't care how he does it. In Ephesians, he wants to gain some ground. He wants to change the battle line. He doesn't care how it happens. So, let me make something up for the point of illustration. You are genuinely not imagined, not kind of it looked that way. You were let down, stabbed in the back, 
hurt by somebody you trusted. It hurt you relationally, emotionally. It was embarrassing. And you can't imagine with the amount of pain it inflicted upon your life, you can't imagine forgiving that person. And they've never sought forgiveness. Well, what that looks like in the, in the moment of the event, in trench warfare, in order to gain ground, somebody has to make an assault. And they come out of the foxhole in some way, and they come running out, they find some boulder stone out in no man's land, they hunker down, somebody else is next to them, and they try to gain a foothold, and somebody starts digging to gain, to gain in a little bit up here. And if they're successful then others come out to join them. And they redraw the line. They gained a foothold. Spiritually, you know this is true. If you've dealt with unforgiveness in your life, it seeps into like a root system. Unforgiveness gives way to bitterness. Unforgiveness gives way to anger and resentment. And so it spreads out. Does this make sense so far? Whether it was something that was done to me, the enemy doesn't care, or something that I decided to engage in, I listen to a lie. It's okay if you dabble in this. God will forgive you. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. But you didn't realize that you were opening Pandora's box as you began to get engaged in whatever it was, and now it's something not just that you dabble in, it's something that now has a hold on you. And even though you may wrestle with guilt and shame and all these things, and you don't want any part of it anymore, you find it so easy to slip back into it and slip back into it. Does this sound like reality to anybody? Gained a foothold, impacting my life. I'm not going to say everybody, maybe everybody, has whispered this in their mind, a really bad time. Be better off if I had never been born. Be better off if I was dead. And that may be as far as it went. But for some, and again, the enemy doesn't care if you battle with depression. The enemy doesn't care what is going on in your life. The enemy doesn't care what has happened. If you have gone as far as to think through, spend some time pondering how you might carry it out. I'm telling you, you have given the enemy a foothold. And how I can tell that you know that you've given the enemy a foothold is that that thought occurs to you more often than you'd like. You've never actually started to take the steps toward it, but you've given the enemy a foothold. Good news. Really good news. Any ground that I've given to the enemy, I have the spiritual authority in Jesus Christ to take it back. Spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare prayers. Um, 
We don't battle against flesh and blood. Do you realize that the person who hurt you is not your enemy? And so we need to demolish these arguments and these precepts and these ideas and these powers and principalities by taking these thoughts captive, making them obedient to the mind of Christ. We need to fight back. We need to recognize that what is a lie is a lie, and even though I've come to believe it was the truth. They deserve to be punished. They don't deserve forgiveness. You know what? You're right. But nor do you. But it was granted to you. And we are called, very specifically in Scripture, to forgive one another. And if we don't forgive, this is just one example, we're like the person who was forgiven a debt, a huge debt, went out, found his neighbor who owed him a small debt, and I'm going to wring his neck. I'm going to get him back. That'll lead to torment in your life, unforgiveness, powerful thing. So, where there was what? You fill in the blank. You fill in the blank for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take back the ground given over to the enemy through this. The enemy can't read your mind. I say it out loud. Pray it out loud. And I start lobbing shells, spiritual bombshells, where I have given the foothold that God doesn't love me. The truth is, God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me, even though I didn't deserve it. And I send bombs and bombs because I'm going to force the enemy out of his foxhole. Resist the enemy and he will what? Flee. We have the power, we have the authority. He's a defeated foe. Who the Son has set free has been free, is free indeed. I just need to walk in it. And as the enemy runs and retreats, here's the key thing. True in regular warfare, true in spiritual warfare. If I don't do some adjustment here, it's really easy for him to come back. I'll bet almost to a person in your life, in your Christian walk, you found a time where you found victory and you were walking in victory, but you didn't really pursue and you kind of let your guard down and wow, you know, two years later, you're back into the same thing again. I think it's because we didn't deal with the foxhole that was already there and take that ground back. And so where there was unforgiveness, I'm like, Lord, I need by your spirit, I need you to create in me a forgiving spirit. I don't have anything in me in my own to forgive this person. I'm going to choose to do it. I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill me to be a person of forgiveness. Does that make sense? And I'm going to fill this in, and I'm going to drive them back. Better still, I'm going to take ground. Because where I used to be a jerk 
in how I treated in this situation, as I give that over, as that's sanctified, as that power of the Spirit fills me there, guess what I get to do? I get to change the boundary lines. This is transformation. To change the line. And to change the line. Because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Are you with me? Sermon notes. Take them out. Please understand, this is not about morbid introspection. This is not about you creating things that aren't real in your life. This is about you asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you very specifically, is it possible, is there an area where I may have either out of my own choice and steps or from something that's been happening to me, is there possible an area that I may have given a foothold to the enemy? If it's general and vague, what, uh, don't make, the Holy Spirit's always very specific, right? That's who he is. And so maybe it's unforgiveness. And you battle with this. And maybe you realize that there's also resentment and bitterness and you come up with a short list or long list, I don't know. But one thing at a time, and I would encourage you, should you be courageous enough and desire the transformation of your life enough, I would encourage you to do this with some other people. That you would pray through this. I'm just going to walk through it, and then we're going to talk through the prayer, and then we're done. Repent. What does repent mean? That's right. I used to think this was Okay. Going this way is okay? No. Not going to go that way anymore. You're going to have to be willing to ruthlessly, honestly deal with what's real in your life. You all know this. You know, the, the person who's in bondage to drugs or alcohol or something, until they recognize that they have a problem and want to get, you can't help them. What is the practice that you continue to allow yourself to go into that makes you look like you're dead? Take it off. Lord, I turn away from that. I renounce this area. I don't want any part of it. I refuse it. I disown it. I cast it off. And I take back this ground. I recommit it to you, this area of my life. Whatever this was happening, you fill it in, ask the Holy Spirit to fill it in with the opposite. It may be necessary, very biblical, that whatever it is that requires you to make restitution. Again, this is the Holy Spirit's leading. If the Holy Spirit says, you need to go to that person and say this, you need to write a letter, I don't know. Not always the case, but it could be. God, you've already made forgiveness available to me. I'm just going to really receive it now because I've struggled with this. I, I've, I receive what you've done. I receive the work you've accomplished on the cross. Your work is enough. And number seven, 
resist because the enemy's not going to let go easily, will he? We're going to get to the armor of God. Next page, sample prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you have bought me with the price of your son by his death on the cross. I believe that I can call you Abba, which means Daddy. I thank you for bringing me into your kingdom. I repent of, and there's a blank. I receive the forgiveness that you've already granted me. I renounce, I refuse any further association with this practice in my life. And I say that I don't want it to be part of my life any longer. I reclaim this ground where one sin had hold of me, and I ask you, Father, to fill this ground of my life with what would it be? Give some examples there. I recommit my, this area of my life to you, Father. Through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, I receive your forgiveness by faith, for the righteous will live by faith. I ask that you would give me strength to stand against the enemy and to resist the temptation to give into this area that has been a weakness of mine. To you be all the glory and honor and praise. Only true God, and I believe that you have given me power over this issue in my life. Day-to-day battle, resisting the enemy, learning what it means. We'll get to it on the armor of God. When the temptation comes to worship, to be in his word. No magic wand. Maybe the hardest thing you ever do in your Christian walk. I kid you not, should you choose to engage in this, maybe there's five things that the Holy Spirit's revealed to you. I don't know why it seems this way. It's just what has been most effective in my life and as I minister to other people. Don't try to blanket those five things in one prayer. I take one thing at a time and pray through that. I want to tell you something. You engage in that, you will find yourself, maybe after one time, you will find yourself physically exhausted. Don't be surprised. You might say, why would I be at well? Because you're battling in a whole other realm. We aren't battling against flesh and blood. We understand that? I'll end with this. Romans chapter 6, give you specifically verses 11 and 14, but in the context, broader context, it's again, it's one of these places where it just says, this is who you are. Sin has no hold of you. That's true of you right now. And yet, in context, Romans 7 Paul says, man, yet there are things in my life that I don't want to do and I give in to and I do it. And there's things that I want to do that I should do and I don't. And I wrestle with this, who will set me free from this body of death? I'm a visual learner. It works really good for me. Paul is 
in house arrest when he's writing this. You know, one of the many things that the Romans, they are so creative at punishment. One of the things that Romans did to punish people, traitors, they would take a dead body and they would tie that body limb to limb around the neck to neck, torso, around the legs, and you had to, and then they'd set you free out in the streets. Now, anyone caught releasing you is immediately executed. Oh, but you're free. Guess what happens to a corpse? It begins to rot and decay. Guess what happens to a rotting corpse decaying that's against your body? Your body begins to rot and decay. How would you like to die that way? Looks like death, doesn't it? We should take it off. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God. That's Romans 7. Romans 8 is walking it out. Taking background is getting set free from Romans 7. And it ties in with this. Would you turn to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2? I am sure that there's a good number of people in this room who have been attending Joel's and Mike's study with the teens on Sunday nights that could quote this because they've studied it so much. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't give a foothold over to the enemy, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I need to learn to rebehave. I need to think differently. I need to take back that ground. And when I do, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Spiritual warfare is right here. It is a battle in the mind. It is a battle for the truth. But unless I know what the truth is, unless I know how to fight it, I am going to get the spiritual snot beat out of me. And you'll wonder why you're frustrated. Jeez, Jesus promises me victory and abundant life. Where is it? It doesn't work. Yes, it does. We have all the power available to us that we need, but we are engaged in this. We are engaged in this. There's no magic wand. Transformation, partnering with the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed, to be a year from now more like Christ than you are today. And a year after that to be more like Christ than you are today because you put off the things that made you look like you were dead. Anybody want to go there? I hope you do. As I said earlier, don't go at it alone. Do not go at it alone.
You've got to be in community for this. Pray for yourselves this week. Would you pray for Judy and I this week? Because anytime you share God's word and if it has been empowered by the Spirit, the enemy doesn't like this kind of message. And the outcome is that those who deliver it are prime targets to get beat up. So I would really, we would really covet your prayers in this coming week. And I'll pray for you. Pray that you have the courage to lean in and start working through some of these things. The truth of Christianity is true, true. Jesus Christ came to set you free. To set you free. I want to be free. Stay with me. Oh, we have a song.